Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Popes and pirates, two classes of people that don't usually cross paths in history, but in this event, they do. This is the tale of greed and boredom, spiced up with a little opportunity, vast treasure, open seas, and sailors hungry for adventure, leading to a mass of power ships and fortune being lost and gained. This is about the treasure of Thidbaud de Castillon. So a vast matey Nick, sit back and enjoy the tale of the treasure being sailed into the horizon and treasure being poured into the sea and speaking of enjoying what drink are you drinking nick got the classic dead guy ale here with me what about yourself very fitting name for this story i'm drinking some evan williams i wish i had some rum our story starts in lisbon portugal which is now lisbon portugal where a man would arise to power through the hierarchy of the catholic church and become a bishop establishing a path in which his nephew, Thidbaud de Castillon, would follow. Thidbaud would basically copy every path his uncle took to rise to the power and to follow in his uncle's footsteps, eventually even taking his uncle's position as bishop. But the position of bishop was not the position Thidbaud inspired to be. He thought it would be better than it actually was. And very quickly, he grew bored of being a bishop in the Catholic Church. So naturally, as a man of God, he took up the hobby of corruption. Quite fitting. And in 1352, he would start to use his hobby of corruption to create some chaos amongst the papacy and the Portugal kingdoms. Soon, the chaos was far out of control. Realizing his error, he would quote-unquote pull some tricks on a number of merchants and church officials to smooth over the relationship of the issues he caused. His tricks would invest a large amount of wealth to be redistributed to the right hands to make sure everything was right in the world, because nothing solves a problem quicker than money. And of course, for his troubles, Thinnebald, of course, got some money for himself. I mean, if the opportunity arises. And by 1356, Thinnebald would amass a huge fortune. And, coincidentally, also in 1356, he would also pass away. I could find no evidence for foul, play, for foul play, but that's not to say there wasn't any. With a large fortune up to grab for being a man of the cloth, he had no children, a Jean de Gouri saw an opportunity. Jean de Gouri was the papal's treasurer, and more money for the church meant Jean was doing his job right and possibly even see part of the action. So in 1356, Jean claimed that Thinnebald massed his fortune through trickery and deception, which was true. And because he gained the money through ill-gotten ways, the money belongs to the church along with his estate. Not so sure on that logic, but everyone was okay with it. By 1357, the paperwork was finalized, and the treasure was loaded onto a ship called the Sao Vincente. This was to sail from Lisbon, Portugal, the Pope, who was in Avagon, France. You may ask yourself, if the treasure is going to the Pope, why is it going to Avagon, France? Well, in this time in history, the papacy was in Avagon, not in Rome. From 1309 to 1376, 
the Pope and the church headquarters were in France, not Italy. Now, it's also important to note, the Mediterranean at this time was extremely dangerous. 1357 was a time of high tensions between many countries, countries especially England, Spain, France, and Portugal. Like most of Europe's history, they were in a time of war and instability, which made sailing even that more dangerous. England and France were fighting each other, but let's be honest, when aren't they fighting? Yeah, I was trying to, to, when you said like most of European history, I was trying to think of the calm parts of European history. Yeah, I don't think there is any. Yeah, I'm not coming up with much. This war England and France were fighting was a proxy war. They weren't direct conflict. The war I'm talking about was the War of Two Peters, which, not gonna lie, sounds like a bad porno. The War of Two Peters was between Peter of Castile and Peter IV of Aragon. It was a war to see which Peter was the true Peter. One was backed by England, the other backed by France. Peter of Aragon decided to build up a huge navy to help him secure his position of being the true Peter, and to aid to his conquest of his two major rivals, and to aid him in his conquest of his two major rivals, Peter of Castile and Ganoa Kingdom. The navy was built at a time both Peter of Castile and Ganoa decided to avoid Peter. So now, Peter had built an armada with no one to fight. Peter of Aragon had no choice but to put his fleet on standby and do nothing, which in turn made Castile and Genoa put their fleets on standby and do nothing before they were not under attack nor under the threat of attack. This is where things get a little more complicated. See, when you have a large number of wartime ships filled with sailors who are ready for war from three different kingdoms, and then you tell them to do nothing, the sailors are going to get bored. And if history has taught me anything, a bunch of bored military personnel, well, one way or another, you're definitely going to get some stories out of them. Back to the ship full of treasure, the Sao Vincente. It was sailing off to Avigon to deliver the Pope his gold. Sailing through the Mediterranean would encounter two ships off Cartagena, Spain. One of these ships commanded by Martin Llanes, a ship from Castile, and the other commanded by Antonio Budafolk, a ship from Genoa. These board sailors, along with their commanders and officers, decided from two different countries, fuck it, we're bored. Let's take the gold for ourselves. I would like to point out that both Castile and Genoa had alliances with Portugal. So in fact, they were robbing from their ally. The two warships armed to the teeth came upon the Sao Vincente, in which very quickly the Sao Vincente surrendered without a fight, which I can't blame them for that. Going against two warships filled with sailors itching for a fight does not sound fun to me. It's fun to watch. <laughs> Definitely fun to watch. Both Martin Yanez and Antoine Budafolk, with one decision, became pirates of the high seas. And Nick, do you want to know a fun fact about Budafolk? Sure. I was trying to figure out if you were pronouncing that right or not, but I couldn't tell. Budafolk roughly translate into two meanings. One being fire blast, and the other being fire fart. Antoine Budafolk was now Captain Firefart, the pirate. Martin, Martin and Firefart would take the loot, split it evenly amongst the ships. From there, Martin would take his half of the fortune and sail away with his crew, never to be seen again. Captain Firefart, not so smart. Shocking. <laughs> Antonio would sail to Marguyo, France, which is pretty damn close to Evigon, which where the treasure was initially heading to. While sailing near Marguyo, France, 
Antoine and his ship would run aground, beaching his ship and spilling some of the treasure into the sea. With their ship stuck, losing treasure, Antoine and his crew would take as much treasure as they could carry and try to get away from both their ship and their crime. They would not make it very far until a local royal garrison found them. And by now, news of their betrayal and becoming pirates had spread. Plus, it probably didn't help when the royal garrisons actually found gold in their pockets. Antonio and his crew were captured. His crew would be hanged for their crime. Some evidence says that they were hanged off their own galley, which is a bit dark, but it is a pirate's life. But Antonio and his few officers, being higher rank, were taken prisoner and sent to prison to await punishment. While the royal garrison was taking prisoners and hanging them, there was still a beach ship filled with gold completely abandoned. Local fishermen quickly took advantage of this opportunity, taking everything they could from the ship, claiming it was the right of salvage. To stop the gold from disappearing because of quote-unquote salvage, a man and a claim would be sent. The man would be Jane Don Bamus, who on February 11, 1357, would take inventory of what's left of the ship, and the claim would be filed against the French crown to stop the French people from salvaging its claim of salvage, the papacy's property. John de Bamus would, in summary, take inventory and note all that was left. Well, in short... All that was left were the ship's sails, rope, rigging, along with some books and clothes from the initial treasure. The books and clothes would be collected and sent to the Pope to be used as royal gifts. I guess something's better than nothing. And of Antoine and his few imprisoned officers? Well, while in prison, they were able to get some recently acquired gold to a bishop of Torino. Hmm. I wonder where that gold came from. The gold, in the right hands made it possible for the crew not to swing from the gallows. Instead, their punishment was a fine that they had to be paid to the Vatican. Crazy how that works. Grease the right palms, everything's smooth. Now this is not where the story ends. You see, news eventually made it back to Lisbon, Portugal, where the treasure ship had sailed from. And a merchant by the name of Pierre Lungantra saw an opportunity to get his fortune back. Thinebald had been the one who tricked him those years ago. So, Pierre would make a claim that some of the treasure was owed to him because of Thenabald's deception. Upon further investigation by the church, which would be the ones who would have to pay Pierre if they accepted his claim and found that it wasn't, the, it was the church that owed him money, the church, well, I'm just going to repeat that. That, that, that sucked. Upon further investigation by the church, which is the ones who would have to pay Pierre if they accepted his claim, found that it wasn't the church's fault and the church didn't owe him any money. But in fact, Pierre owed the church money. Yeah, maybe don't have the people you are filing claim against be the one to investigate the claim. The money he owed to the church was too high for him to pay. So in turn, he filed a different claim against the city of Velicina. Why did he file a claim against Velicina? Well, it's because of a treaty made years earlier called the Treaty of Westphalia. And this is a treaty which made kingdoms and governments liable for the sailors who've gone rogue and become pirates. And Nick, you want to take a guess where Antonio and his crew originated from? Spain? The Vatican? Close enough. Nope. The city I just named, Velocina. No. I thought it was a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> no, tried tried T-balling that one for you. Pierre would actually win this claim against Velocina and in turn be given a warehouse full of sea salt in which... Pierre would give to the church to pay off his debt that 
they discovered that he owed to them. But now there was another problem for the church. They didn't get Thenobald's fortune, and now they have a bunch of salt, which they can't really sell because there's a monopoly on sea salt by Italian merchants. So, the Catholic Church did what it did best. It forced people to do stuff they didn't want to do. The Catholic Church would push out the Italian merchants and make a monopoly holders of the salt game. And the irony is, because they lost Thenobald's treasure from pirates, they would gain a lucrative salt empire that would vast them more riches in the long term than the treasure ever could. As to the fortune that Martin and his crew took and sailed into the horizon, nobody knows. It could have been melted down, spent, or could be at the bottom of the ocean. Only God knows. Da-dunch. But that's the tale of Tenebald's treasure. A corrupt bishop, bored sailors, and the church always getting its money one way or the other. This might be one of the few times, if only time, where pirates and popes were at direct odds against one another. Though this one might be relatively short, I thought it was an interesting story, and I hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.